Welcome to Read It or List It. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Ashley. And today we are so excited to welcome author Stephen Rowley. Stephen's new book, The Gunkle, was just released May 25th, and it's a book you are going to want to make sure finds its way into your beach bag this summer. Patrick, or Gay Uncle Patrick, Gup for short, has always loved his niece, Maisie, and nephew, Grant. That is, he loves spending time with them when they come out to Palm Springs for weekend-long visits or when he heads home to Connecticut for the holidays. But in terms of caretaking and relating to two children, no matter how adorable, Patrick is honestly overwhelmed. So when tragedy strikes and Maisie and Grant lose their mother and Patrick's brother has a health crisis of his own, Patrick finds himself suddenly taking on the role of primary guardian. Despite having a set of gunkle rules ready to go, Patrick has no idea what to expect, having spent years barely holding on after the loss of his great love, a somewhat stalled acting career, and a lifestyle not so suited to a six and nine-year-old. Quickly realizing that parenting, even if temporary, isn't solved with treats and jokes, Patrick's eyes are open to a new sense of responsibility and the realization that, sometimes, even being larger than life means you're unfailingly human. Here is my interview with Stephen Rowley. Welcome to Read It or List It, Stephen. I am so excited to have you. As we said in an introduction, we are going to be talking about your latest book, The Gunkle, today, um, which releases May 25th when we're recording this. This is the day before that, so that's very exciting. And I would love if you could begin by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to be here, and it's always fun to, when a new book is coming out. Finally, it's such a long process. It's <laughs> such a joy, finally, to be able to share a book with readers. So this is great. Um, I am in Palm Springs, California. Uh, the Gunkle is my third novel after Lily and the Octopus and The Editor. Um, and uh, my work has been translated in 20 languages and, and a couple feature films in the work. So it's an exciting time to, to uh, join you. Oh my gosh, that's so incredible. I already told you before we started recording that prepare for me to gush this entire interview <laughs> because I think The Gunkle is definitely going to be one of my favorite books of the year. And I read a lot of books every year. Yay. <laughs> um, so... I would love for you to talk about um, what, where did the inspiration for this story come from? Yeah, well, maybe we should even back up one step further. And just in case anyone is not familiar with the word gunkle, it has sort of become very <laughs> popular slang in the past five to 10 years for a gay uncle. And it, it often comes with a certain connotation of a, a larger than life personality or, you know, I, I know it's changing, but maybe the origin of that was that the gay men were less likely perhaps to have their own children and were able mm -hmm. to dote in a more lavish way on their nieces and nephews and um, you know often often visiting from big cities or flying in for holidays or, or whatnot and disappearing again so um, you know and that tied into a long-standing fascination I had with with Auntie Mame first the the Patrick mm -hmm. Dennis novel and then it was a, a Broadway play and a, a movie with Rosalind Russell and then a Broadway musical with Angela Lansbury and a movie musical with Lucille Ball. And I sort of thought it might be time for, for a modern day uh, retelling of that that kind of story. But but I've always loved magical caregiver, you know, Mary Poppins blowing mm -hmm. in the wind when the kids need her or or Maria from the from the Sound of Music. Did, did you have a sort of favorite character in that in that genre? Um, well, I'm an actor. 
so at my first professional role as a child was uh, Gretel and the Sound of Music, actually, no <laughs> um, which and um, I'm actually from Connecticut. I grew up in Westport, Connecticut. So when you threw in Westport Country Playhouse, I was like, oh, my gosh, home, <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> which made me very happy. The Sound of Music is my family's Easter movie. I don't know why, but we watch it <laughs> every it, year. So. I, think it, I think it used to air. I think NBC used to air it every Easter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was introduced as well. My mother had to tie me to a chair to watch a movie about a singing nun. I was a, I was <laughs> insistent that I would hate it, and I was spellbound. I was absolutely spellbound. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm a big Maria von Trapp uh, uh, fan. Um, actually, there was a uh, I didn't go to school there, but I had a couple friends who went to. Uh, it was called Laurelton Hall in Mil- Milford, Connecticut, and uh, big old family mansion. But the Von Trapp children sang there when they came to the United States. Wow. So that was their like claim to fame. That the inspiration for this like magical caregiver, I loved it so much, and especially your first book, Lily and the, Oct- the Octopus was inspired by your own experience with grief. And then obviously a major theme in the Gunkel itself is grief. So I couldn't help but connect the idea that we all grieve differently because we see all the characters go on that mm-hmm. journey so differently. But especially in the wake of this past year, where we're all grieving something, it may not be a person. So what are you hoping that your readers will take away from Patrick and the kids story? Yeah. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Lily and the Octopus was a deeply personal work. This is this is also inspired, um, you know, by by some elements from my life. I am the gunkel to five uh, kids, three nephews and two nieces. Um, and uh, I do live in Palm Springs, California, which is where Patrick lives, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe we share some of the same sense of humor. But uh, but that's probably where the similarities end. I was inspired. Uh, my brother brought his boys to visit me a couple years back. Back. They were three and five, and and they were coming to spend the week with me. And after about 12 hours here, my brother was called back to uh, court in Boston, where he's a trial attorney, he had to appear in court, and he left me with with the boys for the week. So, um, a little bit different circumstances than the book, in which the title Gunkel um, Patrick O'Hara is a sort of retired television star living a reclusive life in in Palm Springs, um, long grieving the death of his boyfriend years prior when when a, a fresh tragedy um, leaves him with his niece and nephew for the summer. And it sort of brings about a season of healing for all three of them. Um, you know, now, obviously, what I went through was not a tragedy, uh, but it did did sort of waken me this uh, sort of idea of what it's like to sort of step into a much bigger role than perhaps um, you were you were intended, you know, an, an aunt mm-hmm. and can often be more in a, an understudy role, you know, just have to fill in <laughs> at a few performances and not really take on the take on the lead. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, it was fun, you know, and a lot of the book's comedy comes from his unpreparedness and 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 his, you know, he's not trained in in conversing mm-hmm. with children, which can lead to some miscommunication and some some funny instances, but also, in this case, it is. Um, actually his, uh, you know, a strange superpower. He talks to them like small adults. And I think children can handle uh, much more than we often give them credit for. And particularly on a subject like grief, where they don't want it to be sugarcoated or um, or to be treated with kid gloves, um, the way that he helps them navigate their grief is, is um, I think, probably a surprise to all three of them, but, but yeah. them on a path to healing. 
yeah, they want to know that, like, am I going to feel this way forever? And if I do, that's okay, but just tell me. And yeah. I, I, I couldn't help but think that when Maisie and Grant were in their 20s at some point, they'd be recounting this magical summer that they spent with their Uncle Patrick and, like, what like I think they'll no matter the ages they'll never forget that <laughs> the yeah, characters I, felt very I'm real. So <laughs> it makes me so happy to imagine that. Um, but you're right, you know, grieving it, it isn't like a oh we're gonna do it for three months and then we're done and um, we got through it yay. It is you know you don't wear it on your sleeve always. It would be very easy to write a scene of the children sort of sobbing in the corner, but that's not the way life works sometimes. And it's it's you know it seeps into the fabric of who we are. And we live with it for, for a very long time. Um, you know, I intended, I set out to write more of a light comedic novel, uh, or at least that's the approach I thought I was going to take. But early early in the writing process, I lost one of my best friends to breast cancer, and she left behind a six-year-old son. And so that got me thinking about grief in children in a very serious way. You know, Mame sent yeah. her war off to boarding school and sort of sidestepped uh, you know, having to to deal with anything too serious. Um, but suddenly my my light comedic novel, while still comedic, hopefully, I do think it's very funny, um, also um, was a deeper examination of of grief. And um, hopefully, hopefully, you know, that's that's where the book kind of found its voice in balancing those two things. I was, my next point I was going to say was that um, I was texting my best friend, the future Gunkel, to my children uh -huh. <laughs> um, um, the whole time I was reading it and that it was this perfect balance between like laugh out loud moments and then cry out loud moments, which I'm a big fan of duality. And I was going to ask if that was a, a conscious choice, but I feel like that's something that naturally came out and it's I do think it's it's delightfully balanced that way and when I told him I was reading a book called The Gunkle he was like Phoebe do you have something to tell me <laughs> and I was like do you think I would just text that to you he's like I don't know but I'm ready <laughs> <laughs> that's so great you know I will have to get him I will have to get you a special signed copy of the book for you to give him when you are ready to make an announcement oh my goodness uh, and, 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 <laughs> What fun if that was the way it happened. Um, uh, I was thinking, I was like, oh, well, now I'm going to have to give him a hard copy of the book. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily meant to be a training manual, although, you know, Patrick, while, while not while not a perfect character, he certainly has his flaws, I think is um, more suited to the to the task than than anyone might realize at the at the beginning. But uh, anyhow, finding that balance is you know, it's always, it's always a, you know, if you come from the theater or, you know, as an actor, certainly, you know, long history of his uh, tragedy and comedy, you know, the, mm -hmm. the very masks, the symbol of theater and uh, you know, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. So, yeah. but it's just, it's just a matter of striking the right balance. And that is through, through different drafts and through, through uh, whatnot, but humor can be such a, a coping mechanism through mm -hmm. grief through hard times, but it's also a way, you know, it's, it's also healing to laugh. So, you know, I always think that humor is such an enormous part of our grieving process and, and finding our way through. I definitely agree. I mean, I think that's why some of the, the most lasting stories of our time are, you know, those rom-coms and stuff like that, that have such a, they can have a little bit more of those like deeper themes to them, but 
they yeah. do still give us the the reality that you know you're not going to cry forever <laughs> you will well, you will one day of, laugh in terms of endearment the movie and it's very different from the book but in terms of endearment the movie you know everyone remembers it as it's the sad movie about about a mother saying you know dying of cancer but it is one of the funniest films of all mm-hmm. time and it's just and i always lo- you know i'm i love that those are the stories that stick with me because they 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 feel real they feel, yes. you know, they, they have an honesty to them that that really resonates. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, like I said, this book feel, felt very, very personal to me. My husband and I actually, we argued over who would, if our, my best friend Mark would stand on my side or his side when <laughs> we got married. So that little tidbit, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> so right? real. Yeah. Well, there, uh, which, they, you know what the compromise was. He had to perform the ceremony, so. I know, we we did not. He ended up standing on my husband's side because yeah. he was like, I have to make sure they all have their straight bow ties. Oh. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> He had work I, to do on that side, yeah. Yeah, he was he was my eyes on the ground when I <laughs> when we oh, were ironic apart. That he was in charge of straightening the bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one of our our theater professors from college, uh, who the costume designer, she showed up at our wedding and took one look at all of them at their pocket squares, and she, she was like, "Oh no, no, no." <laughs> <laughs> and went around and fixed all their pocket squares. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Maureen. Um, but anyway, so Patrick himself is an actor as well. And like you mentioned, he has sort of, he hasn't retired, but he's stepped away as he's processing some things. Maisie and Grant, the, uh, they have this like bluntness that only kids can bring seem to help him find his own way back to his passion and the things that he's willing to do for them. So what was it like to find the voice of the children? Yeah, that was perhaps the most challenging part because I do I don't have kids of my own. Um, as I mentioned, I am I am the gunkle of five and I certainly have plenty of friends with with children. And so, you know, uh, I hope I hope my nieces and nephews will will forgive me. God help them for being related to a writer because, you know, we are sponges and we do listen <laughs> and uh, borrow sometimes, which is a polite word for steal. Um, but, you know, the book is dedicated to them. So I hope I hope they'll forgive me. But, um, you know, and obviously we were all children ourselves and um despite how long ago it might feel at times it it wasn't that long ago in the in the greater scheme of things so um you know it, it's a sort of a combination of of observing kids today remembering how i felt as a child and and um i i'm always aware as an artist as a writer that you know having children you, whether you have them or not, you can't argue that it's one of life's most emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even as someone without kids, I'm always aware that I don't have that in my arsenal um, to draw on. So it it is, you know, important to observe. It is important to, um, you know, try to try to um, pick up bits where you can and then and then it was an interesting exercise for me to imagine like well what might I bring to parenting what might my worldview and my experience and my empathy and my um, politics and my pop cultural references and my humor you know all of my lived experience as a gay man what would that have to offer in in child rearing and that that was fun to do yeah I mean there's just so many pure moments that I think just made me so happy um, that we don't like, especially the moment with Maisie in the bathing suit and Mm -hmm. helping her find the way to communicate that like, it's okay if you don't want what 
traditionally a little girl would have. And it's okay to ask for what makes you feel comfortable. And just like, um, I'm a big proponent of like having like kids being able to verbalize consent in every aspect. Right. So something like that was, I don't know, it just made me, <laughs> like I said, the book made me laugh out loud and cry out loud and um, was very, very authentic. And Grant, yeah. his one liners, like <laughs> what, what a magical, I, I kept speaking in a lisp because <laughs> it's just so wonderful. And I, yeah. I miss that. Um, that unselfconsciousness that that you have as a child and seeing that with Grant. I think it was something that like Patrick really related to in a way because he kind of says whatever comes oh, to his sure. mind. Yeah, they're both characters without filters in a way. Mm-hmm. Grant more innocently. Uh, so, you know, sometimes Patrick says things where he probably should know a little better. But but Grant, you know, what a pure joy. To, and, you know, as a writer to just like, all right, I'm taking off my filter today. And what would I say if I could say anything? And and writing a character with a lisp is is fun and also a challenge because you, you want to thread enough suggestion with the, um, you know, with the grammar, uh, but also not not do overkill because you don't want to slow the reader down or, or have mm-hmm. stumble over a punchline. So it's just enough to get that voice in your head. Um, and yeah, absolutely. With, um, you know, with, with kids clothes, it's, you know, I, I just have a, I happen to have a niece who's really into to science and, and what, you know, and would, would rather wear a NASA t-shirt than anything, um, you know, with a princess on it. But it's not just, yes, obviously issue of consent. Yes, we want kids to have a say in their appearance and what they wear. But what's so frustrating about it is not just that it limits their taste sometimes at a girl's department in the store or a boys department in the store. It's not just a matter of limiting taste. Sometimes it limits ambition. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I wanted her to have that NASA t-shirt. I wanted there to be girls NASA t-shirt because I want them all, you know, just to, to really thrive in, in science if that's what they want to do. So yeah, Patrick has a lot to say on the subject. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely loved it. So I know you um, mentioned, I'm so sorry about the loss of your friend. Um, and but I was wondering if you had a Sarah or someone someone who inspired uh, this story and if they've been able to read it. Um, but I'm assuming it, losing your friend. Um, yeah, that is yeah. Not so, possible. so she very much informed the character of Sarah, um, and um, you know that's a change. It's it's very interesting when you write something and, and writing a, a novel or anything long form, you know, it, it's something that evolves over time. It's, um, you know, these are projects that take years sometimes to, you know, to get from start to finish. So um, you may have plans, but, uh, or an outline for the story or think you know who these characters are and then life intervenes in a way or some new bit of inspiration comes. And, you know, that that was something that happened to me. And, and she just seeped her way into the the character of, of Sarah. And, and Sarah became sort of much more important to mm-hmm. Patrick maybe at the outset. But that's what makes writing really interesting to me. I don't like to be so rigid to an outline because I like to leave room to surprise myself. And um, sometimes, you know, when you can tell a writer is working through something, in order to understand it, you know, he's bringing the audience along with them on that on that journey, and and those can be, you know, sometimes more much more meaningful reading experiences. Mm. And I mean, we get to see Patrick sort of deal with um, a grief that he is not uh, fully understood or let himself understand um, for many years, and I think that that I think people 
like it's a perfect summer read because you get all the fun and the glamour, but it also, I think, will um, make help others clarify um, some of those things that maybe they've been holding on to as well. And instead of holding on to them, you can walk with those experiences. Yeah. Um, w- yeah, that's very true. And I think, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, we're, we're we're all kind of grieving after this year and a writer Mm -hmm. has no control over what the world looks like when his work is released. Um, because, you know, as, as I said, it takes years to write a book. And, and so, you know, I didn't know we would be coming, you know, Patrick's a character who is very much self-isolated for a while. And it's, and it's about him finding his way back to life. And here we are in this moment where we've all kind of self-isolated for 15 months or so, and we're all finding our way back in, into, into the light. And I think that's so so true. We're, we're very social creatures. We're not meant to be so isolated. We're not meant to be, you know, like Patrick has isolated himself. And just as we have, are, are not meant to be as isolated as we have been the past 15 months. So if the book resonates uh, with with readers extra deeply because it's coming out at this moment, that's, you know, I'm happy to ride ride that wave. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I hope it's, uh, you know, I hope it's meaningful, but it's because I sort of honored uh, I think the the grief and and you're right. Pa- I always intended for Patrick to be a grieving character, also. But what I didn't know, or what surprised me a little bit, was that um, he would not, you know, that he would so strongly not want his life as the children's future. And in order mm-hmm. to lead them on a better, more healing path, he has to reach so deeply within himself to to start heal his own healing journey. Yeah. And like you said, <laughs> books and stories take years and lots of time to put into. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your writing process? Uh, yeah, for, for sure. I, 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 It's so funny. After after the past year, I, I always laugh now because I think like, oh, everyone's living the life of a writer now. Like, do I, you know, working at oh, home yeah. <laughs> suddenly? Um, do I need to wear pants today? Should this be my fourth cup of coffee or first glass of wine? Like, <laughs> where are we in the day here? And uh, so, so in some ways, writers have been, you know, suited for the for pandemic life. But, um, you know, the thing that I miss the most is, uh, you know, it's such an input output business and mm-hmm. it's really hard to to, you know, to to observe all the beautiful details that make writing, you know, that, that can make a, a text so rich, you know, those observable human things that we have, you know, and now when we are out in public, you know, people are often in masks or sunglasses and hats or, you know, they're behind things and, and, and humanity is not as quite as observable, you know, I can see someone knocking over a display in the grocery store and refusing to wear a mask. And that's a, an observable bit of humanity, yeah. I suppose, but that's not really the type of behavior that I want to observe. Um, but, you know, so it's been challenging that way. I've always written at home only because I am so drawn to observing. So it, you know, it's really hard to get work done in a coffee shop or something because I'm always <laughs> eavesdropping on the next table or, or trying to watch what's happening up at the cash register. So, um, you know, I, in some ways I've been very, you know, I felt very fortunate. I'm used to working at home. I continue to do that. My heart has gone out to all of my performing friends mm. uh, and people who, who it's been much harder to practice their art during this time. Um, and have really had to sort of scramble to, to, um, you know, not only support themselves, but, but also just to, just to, just to do art, just to make art, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's how I ended up here. Yeah. <laughs> Doing this. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly, but but great. I and mean, like, how great to be able to talk. Uh, you know, yeah. Was, we can't be performer. Now let's at least talk about the artistic process or something because there's there's great value in that too. Definitely. So here, speaking of art, this is another great little, um, <laughs> another form of art. Um, music is a big part of this book. Mm -hmm. um, and here at Read It or List It, we always love to match books with songs. Um, so we call them our song pairings. Um, if you had to choose a song to pair with the Gunkle, what would it be? Um, that is a good, good. well, I, I'm going to give like two answers because one, I'm going to pull directly from the text itself that Patrick has a sort of obsession with 80s music and that and there's a there's a Wang Chong song in the in the book um, mm -hmm. let's go which uh, he sort of describes as America's third favorite Wang Chong song yeah. <laughs> um, but he thinks it's the best Wang Chong song so so that's all that's always fun and I, I have thought oh I need to do a playlist uh, of uh, of songs that that um, that I could uh, that pair with the book you know I was listening to um, this song by um, Muna, M-U-N-A. I think they're they're queer a female band, and uh, out of California. And uh, they have a song called "I Know a Place," mm. um, and it's a little bit wistful, very upbeat. Um, you know, to a you know wanting to be led to a sort of a happier place and stuff like that. And I and I thought like ah. Oh, if, there, if I'm ever so lucky to see, you know, a, a movie version of this, like I could imagine this song playing over the trailer, you know, um, Patrick grabbing the kids' hands and I know a place we can go. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I love that song and and um, it makes me think of the of the book. Oh, well, I hope, I think this would, um, given, obviously, I know you have a background in screenwriting as well. So I think this would make a wonderful <laughs> mini series or movie or sitcom or anything like that. So <laughs> we can set that as the, uh, <laughs> the theme song or, yeah. uh, the, the credits, the, yeah. the fade to black moment. Right. Um, um, all right. Before we are just about out of time, this always flies. Um, but if you're working on anything else, can you tell us anything about it? Yeah, well, well, my first two novels are making their way to the big screen, um, and uh, so I working in a producing capacity on Lily and the Octopus. Although I did not write the screenplay, I did write the screenplay for the editor, oh, uh, my second novel, and that is working its way to the screen as well. So I've been very involved in those projects. Um, I did a, just had an Audible original come out called The Dogs of Venice, which was narrated Ooh. by Neil Patrick Harris, and uh, something I wrote over quarantine and it was so fun to be able to at least travel through writing to to Italy, to Venice, Italy. And um, hopefully it's fun to listen to as well so we can all get back to vacationing and traveling as we would yeah. like. Um, and yeah, I'm working on a, on a, on a new book. Um, you know, I, plenty of writers have not been able to write during this time. And I totally understand that too. I think there was part of me that felt like as soon as the world reopens, I'm going to want to be a part of it. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's not going to be the time to start something. I know. Yeah. Trying to find that balance now of like having a social life, but I was like, I kind of really liked being, I, I've read so many books and I started my own writing. <laughs> Yay. 
That's um, so great. For me, it's like I miss live the. Oh, I miss live. Oh, live. I know. I can't wait to be back um, seeing theater and concerts and and all that. So. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Um, these are the conversations that have definitely gotten me through the last 15 months. Um, the Gunkle is available, will be available now when you are listening to this episode. You can get it wherever you get your books. Um, and we will have linked um, where you can find Stephen online and all of that. Um, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? No, but the, I will say, um, you, you know, this isn't going to help anyone listening to this, but the co the cover, I love the cover of this book so much. It's a bright yellow ray of sunshine. And if, if for anyone, who, if they wanted to stick it in a beach bag or anything for Memorial Day weekend, the summer's here, we can finally be out enjoying it. Um, I, you know, I, I, the idea that I could be part of your summer reading or beach reading is just a thrill. So enjoy. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a joy to welcome Stephen to read it or list it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You know the drill. You can head to readandwrite.com to learn where you can purchase a copy of The Gunkle. And if you liked today's interview, please stop by today's Instagram post at read it or list it pod with your thoughts on today's episode <laughs> we'll be back soon returning to our regularly scheduled series regarding indie romance but we hope that some of these summer titles find their way into your beach bag thanks for listening and we'll see you next time original music by jake thorne Podcast produced and edited by me, Ashley Chandler, and Phoebe Wright. You can find us on Instagram at Read It or List It Pod. All rights reserved 2020.